0: So every new graduate needs to have a healthy respect and fear of debt, in my mind. I would lean towards fear before shifting towards respect and then eventually feeling comfortable. In my mind, I would always have a little bit of fear towards debt.
1: Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on this episode, we're continuing the discussion on best financial steps for a college graduate. These steps will actually be valuable for anyone listening, but we especially want to congratulate all those that have graduated and give them these heartfelt and really important principles that we believe in and we want them to embrace. In the last episode, we touched on the first three of the seven tips for college grads. And the number one was create your own bank account. Two was create your stability fund. And three, crush your student loans. So we're on to number four.
0: That's right. So number four is to calibrate your credit. And as a recent graduate, you probably aren't aware of how the credit system works. Uh, It probably didn't matter much until now, you probably didn't need to access or use credit. But that needs to change. Now's your time to get educated on this. Your credit score is a huge part of your financial life, whether you like it or not. That's right. And I think sometimes I lean towards the not liking it side. Mm -hmm. But honestly, sometimes I lean towards the really being grateful that we have a system in place in the U.S. that allows you to grow a reputation. Mm -hmm that then allows people to lend you money for something that you might need and trust that you'll pay it back. We have a huge trust system, and that's what this system is. Does a company trust you enough to lend you money? And sometimes I don't like it because they track it and they they keep track of your data and information, whether you like it or not. But sometimes I love it because I think it's a cool system to make sure that people are able to borrow for a home and able to borrow for a car. So I'm really this is a love hate relationship for me. But in the future, you're going to want to purchase a car or a house. And without good credit, you probably won't qualify or you'll end up paying a lot more. Uh, If you have poor credit, you're going to pay a premium. You're going to see the loan rate on a house, instead of it being 4%, it's going to be 5% or 6% or 7%. And if you think about that, let's say it's a $100,000 loan. For every 1% more that your interest rate is, that's an extra $1,000 a year Mm -hmm. because 1% of 100,000 is 1,000. So let's say that you have good credit and you can get a 4.5% loan or you have poor credit, and you get a 6.5% loan. Right. That's a 2% difference. That's $2,000 a year over a 30-year loan. That's $60,000. That's just on a $100,000 house. On a $200,000 house, it's 120000 On a $300,000 house, it's 180000 extra that you'd be paying in interest. Now, there's a little bit of things with an amortization schedule that affect that, but that's the overview. So here's a quick overview of how the credit score works you know, the information on how you pay your debts is reported to one of the credit bureaus. And really, it usually goes to all three and they maintain a huge data file known as your credit report. When a company wants to lend you money, they will ask the bureau, they'll ask one of these bureaus, hey, send us the report. And they will look at your report and they'll pay the credit bureau's money to access your report and see, Is this the kind of person that we want to lend money to? So the three bureaus are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, and they capture your data and information, whether you like it or not. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They are always gathering, are you paying uh, your credit cards on time? Are you paying your mortgage on time? Are you paying your car loan on time? Anytime that you're borrowing money, they're tracking that. Big brother. (laughs) So they're tracking. And then they're going to sell that information to banks, to credit card companies, to somebody that's looking to loan on a home or a car loan. So the credit bureau doesn't make the lending decision, but they maintain your data. Mm -hmm. And these credit reports are used by the lenders to quickly evaluate whether or not you're trustworthy. And then they get this quick snapshot through the credit report, they give it actually just a number, a score. And that is where we get the credit score. They look at the report, they score it based on some crazy mathematical formula, which we talked all about the mathematical formula and how it got started, I think back in episode 10. So if you really want to dig into this, look at episode 10. But this is how they determine your credit worthiness.
1: Right. And the credit score models, uh, they analyze the total amount of debt that you owe on all of your accounts. It looks at everything. Additionally, for your revolving credit, such as credit cards, your available credit is a major factor that makes up about a third of your credit score. So as long as you make monthly payments on time, your revolving account will remain open. Installment loans, such as car loans and mortgages are different because they don't have a credit limit and do come with a set maturity or payoff date. When you pay down an installment loan to zero, the account then is closed. So a key formula that's used to calculate your credit score is called your credit utilization ratio. It's used only on revolving accounts. It's a simple formula that compares your credit limit to your outstanding balances. And this ratio shows how much available credit you're actually using. So let me give you an example. If you have a credit card with a balance of, let's say $500 and a credit limit of 1,000, your utilization ratio is 50%. You're using half of your credit available, which is 500 out of the 1,000. So keeping a low utilization ratio, such as below 20%, is optimal for good credit. Once you start creeping up over that 30%, it starts to negatively impact your score. So paying down your balances on the card, let's say $200 on that $500 credit card, you could reduce your utilization ratio from 50 to 20% and boost your credit score.
0: That's right. So this is something that I kind of learned is the difference between the installment loan and the revolving accounts. Mm -hmm. The installment loan is when you have one set number that you're paying down over time, like a mortgage. You take out a $100,000 mortgage, every month you pay it down, and it is an installment. You pay installments until it's completely gone, and then they close the account. But revolving credit is like a credit card where every month you have access to, let's say it's a $5,000 limit. Mm-hmm. You have access to that $5,000. And if you use up 500, then now you have access to 4,500. Right. But if you pay it back, you now have access to all 5,000 and they don't close the account. It just revolves mm-hmm. every month. Right. So that's just something that I, I kind of intuitively knew before, but now I really tangibly get it, that there is a difference between the installment loan and the revolving account. And this is just really important to realize that of the huge number of debt that you have access to, they're always looking at the ratio of how much of that debt you're using. Mm -hmm. And they're using that ratio to determine whether or not they want to lend you money. So if you have a low ratio, the potential lenders are going to be willing to lend you more and they're not going to be worried about your ability to pay. Because before you were using, yeah. You know, if you look at this, let's say you got 100000 that you could be borrowing, but you're only borrowing 20%, they're looking at it thinking, oh, this person has a ton of margin in right. what they could actually manage.
1: Plus, it says that you have been responsible in not over borrowing, not getting yourself in over your head. So they look at this as a really a measure of how responsible you have been with the credit that's been extended to you.
0: That's right. So you never want to have your utilization ratio, the amount that you're borrowing, Mm -hmm. be more than 30% of the total that you can borrow. So if you can borrow 10,000, you have a credit card that's for 10,000, then you never want to borrow more than 3,000 at a time. Because as soon as you go over 3,000, 30%, all of a sudden the credit companies get very nervous. Uh, if you have a $1,000 limit, you've just started, you're just out of college, you have a $1,000 limit credit card, you actually don't want to spend more than $300 on that card right. ever. And for, you know, for Leo and I, we would recommend you just, you may use it to manage your monthly budget, but if it's only got a $1,000 limit and you can only spend 300 on it, I would actually rather you just not use it and use a debit card and use money you have and let it stay at zero And every month that it is at zero, it counts as if you paid it in full, and it gives you a good mark on your credit. And so every month that it's at zero, it just keeps building you credit over time. So you don't even need to use it. Now, then if you uh, maybe six months in a year in, you can say, "Hey, would you expand my credit limit from 1000 to Mm 5000? And if the bank agrees to that, well, now let's say we'll do uh, 10,000 just for easy numbers. Now you have access to 3000 that you can use without getting dinged on your credit score. And then you could use that credit card to manage your monthly budget and use a credit card to buy things and then pay it off with your bank account. But I do want you to know if you have an open revolving credit, like a credit card, and you don't have any balance, it still builds your credit and it still benefits you. And that's what Ashley and I have. We'll use, we have a couple cards uh, one, we just use once a year to buy something, pay it off and leave it at zero. And all year, it builds us credit. We have that on two cards. And then we've got one card that we really use for our monthly spending purchases. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just an easy way for us to manage our monthly budget. We sure. used to do it all through a debit card. And I highly recommend that because all the money is there and you're using money you already have. But as a young adult, you probably need to be building credit. Because when you go to purchase a home, it will make a difference.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as a new graduate, you may not ha- have much credit history, obviously, which means you'll probably have a either no score or a very low score. Um, but don't worry about that. It's easy to build good credit over time. Give it some time. But really, within a year to two years, you can have excellent credit if you do it the way we suggest it. High credit score tell lenders and merchants that you've been responsible with money. So a good credit history comes with privileges such as low interest rates on loans and credit cards. So this is an important part of your life. This is why we bring it up. It's not about giving you open carte blanche, spend as much as you can. Obviously we will continue to uh, reinforce the concepts and the principles of live within your means, save before you spend. All of that should still be part of your makeup, but credit is part of our life. And a credit score is part of your life. So we want to educate you because it does touch on other things. There are other ways that credit affects your finances.
0: That's right. So let's look at a few of those. This is so interesting to me. It doesn't just affect people lending you money. It actually affects your auto insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a few states that have banned the use of credit as a factor in your auto insurance, but most haven't. So many states, it is legal for an auto insurance company to look at your credit report Right. And then judge you and change how much they're gonna charge you for yeah. insurance. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: That, yeah, that's a bit frustrating to me, but I do understand they're looking and saying, How can we make sure that this person's going to pay for their policy? Right. Right? Because they're extending to you a service. And that's the thing that you have to consider is they're selling you something. And they're expecting you to pay. Now, unfortunately, most people, because they don't manage money well, they pay their premiums monthly instead of paying it every six months, which is another downside to this whole process is because you end up paying more. There's no discounts for paying it. But the reason insurance companies, home insurance, insurance, employment, leasing, the reason they do this is they want to make sure that when you enter into a contract with them, that whatever you agreed to pay, you will pay. And this is one of the only ways that they can tell, are you a responsible person when it comes to paying your bills? And so we do see it used in this instance, but in many others.
0: Yeah, so I'll give give you the overview. So it's used in your auto insurance potentially, your homeowner's insurance. It can be used when you're looking at a new employer. The employer might look at your credit report it can be used for leasing if you're going to lease an apartment or lease a car. Uh, cell phone contracts, you might not be able to get access to the nicest cell phone because of your credit score. Or you'll pay uh, a premium. It's or you'll true. pay a huge premium, that's right. Uh, and your utilities. Sometimes the utility company will look at this as well. So let's just break down why they would do that. Home insurance, again, just like Leo said, if you're responsible with your finances, then they have less fear that you're going to create a frivolous claim. Because sometimes somebody will pretend to get in an accident or pretend there's major damage on their home, Mm -hmm. and they will cause a claim to go into place that will cost the insurance company money. But the insurance company, if you have a good credit score, they trust that you're managing well, and so they give you a little bit better rate. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. With employment, employers in most states have the right to check your credit report. Uh, now, you have to give them permission, but a lot of companies are now starting to do this. They're saying, hey, give us permission to look at your credit report before we hire you. Because if you're not managing finances well, which again, the credit score is not necessarily the best indicator if somebody manages well, uh, because it only looks at how you manage debt. Yeah, right. But if that's all they have access to, because you're not going to give them you know, your personal budget and your personal you know, banking records, if they have access to your debt management, it gives them a little bit more clear picture of how you manage things. Right. I don't think it's the best way to measure, but it is a measurement. Mm-hmm. And so be aware that employers are looking at that. Uh, there are some jobs where if you are struggling with debt, they won't hire you into that company because somebody could come along and leverage your financial problems. And this is a big thing in the military. The military looks at a few different factors of could somebody try to come along and uh, put pressure on this person because they're struggling with that. Put yep. pressure on this person because they're struggling with other areas. So
1: in financial institutions as well. I know I was coaching a person some years ago and her credit score was diving you know, in the wrong direction, so to speak. And she was concerned because she worked at a credit union and she had access to money because, because of her right. position. That's so right. she told me, she says, I'm concerned because every so often they run a credit check on all the employees that have access to money because their concern is if this person gets into a financial bind, are they likely to steal from us? Yes. And once you know once they lose the money, it's very hard to recuperate. So this practice for this credit union was if you handle money, we want to make sure that you're okay. So they're looking at their financial well-being, specifically through the credit score to see if they are in any danger of financial problems, which then would be problems for the business.
0: That's right. You know, this is kind of funny because uh, I personally have done this across my career because I do manage well and I do have a budget in place and I do have savings in place. Mm -hmm. I will, for reputation's sake, share that with my boss, I won't share all the information, all the details, but I'll say, yeah, Ashley and I have an emergency fund, right? Yeah, we've begun saving into our 401k or 403b, and let them know that every month, Ashley and I sit down and create a budget together and that we're managing well and that we don't have debt. And what that actually does is it builds a reputation with whoever is your boss at your company. So on the one hand, they can look at how you manage debt. On the other hand, you could share some information that you're a good manager. And that will build your reputation in their mind. It's All of this is reputation management in yes. a way. And a yes. company doesn't have a way to truly know your reputation uh, when they're first hiring you. So they look at the credit score as your reputation. I don't think it's the best. You know, it's, not the, it's like judging a book by its cover. It's not the best way to do it. But it is one way to gather some intel.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would say to a degree, the information they're getting is a good representation, at least in the way you manage money because let's face it, you're not going to be very responsible in one area of your finances and then totally irresponsible in another. It kind of carries throughout the whole system. So when I run a credit check for potential renters, I'm looking to see, is this person likely to do the right thing? Not just in paying their rent. Obviously, I want them to pay their rent on time, but it also gives an insight into who the person really is. And is it fair? Well, it's not a full picture, but it is a picture. And it's something that obviously companies use, uh, landlords use, and all these other utilities and cell phone contract companies and all these use in order to qualify us whether we are being responsible with our money. So I think it's pretty fair. In my opinion, I think it's a good uh, basis for making that decision.
0: That's right. I, I agree with Leo, but I also, you know, reserve the right to love it and hate it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's look at the fifth thing that a college graduate should be thinking about. And that is clearing out toxic debts. So once you have credit, it can be very tempting to just start using it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hey, I've started to build my credit score. People are willing to lend me money. I have a decent job. So every new graduate needs to have a healthy respect and fear of debt. In my mind, I would lean towards fear before shifting towards respect and then eventually feeling comfortable. In my mind, I would always have a little bit of fear towards debt because it is a powerful financial tool um, that can cause you to experience a lot of pain very quickly. But it also, if you learn how to manage it well, can be used over time to help you as you grow and accumulate wealth. Mm-hmm. So I'm not um, opposed to it in every situation. Uh, you know, you could use a low interest debt to get an education, so you can earn more over your lifetime. Right. So you know, both Leo and I had student loans, and I would always lean towards somebody being very aware of how much they're taking out in student loans, mm-hmm. and never taking out more in student loans than they'll earn the first year with their projected college degree. But I'm okay with taking out a little bit of student loan to begin to educate yourself for a long-term career. You it just have is, to make a good investment.
1: It is an investment in yourself. And you have to think of it from the perspective of, do I just save and then go to school? Well, that might take three to four, or five years. Or do I just go right. to school now, go ahead and take the loan, make the extra income, and just be disciplined to pay it off in a reasonable amount of time. When I look at the five thousand plus that I borrowed to get into my first profession, it more than paid for itself in the first year. Yeah. In the first year. Yeah. So I think when you do the math, when you look at it and say, is this something I should do? Then student loan is definitely an investment. And there are other options as well. You know, if you're buying a home, you yep. know, this is buying a home is different than renting sure. It's more expensive in some ways but you own your own home you get to make it in the way you want so that's a value it's something that matters to most families especially as you bring children into the equation so why not go ahead and use that to buy home why not use that to to do that but don't make it a lifelong thing right just because you take out a 30-year mortgage doesn't mean you keep it for 30 years right right and it just because you the bank may pre-approve you for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Doesn't mean you should borrow 350000 That's right. Maybe the most that your budget would allow, if you use a budget and look at the numbers, is maybe a $200,000 home. So all of this is not to say get rid of all debt, never use debt, is use it wisely. That's right. And get rid of anything that is obviously toxic to you, and it's bringing stress and unnecessary financial burdens.
0: Yeah, so clearing out your toxic debts would be high-interest consumer debt, something where you just consumed the product, but you used debt to buy it and now you've got high interest. So anytime you use a credit card, that's probably because you consume something and now you've got a high interest rate that you've got to pay. Uh, any kind of payday loan is a hugely mm-hmm. toxic debt. It's totally Horrible. For yes. So if you're trying to finance a lifestyle that you can't afford using consumer debt, mm-hmm. you're going to be in huge trouble. I have a, a very strong biblical worldview in this area. The Bible says that the borrower becomes servant to the lender, and it actually, and then everybody says slave to the lender. That mm-hmm. there is a relationship change when you go into debt. I'm always thinking of that. Okay, if I go into debt, the relationship changes, and I'm now a servant to this company. But the Bible also says that the nation of Israel would um, borrow from none and lend to many, Mm -hmm. that they would actually bless other people by lending them money when they needed it. So I don't think it's entirely biblically wrong, but I think it's something that on the spectrum we should lean towards having a healthy, healthy fear or respect of debt, But then Ashley and I, we have a home that we have a mortgage on. And I don't feel uncomfortable at all with that because we follow the surety principle. And we have a sure way to pay because we have a huge down payment. So with my college education, did two years of community college, then went to a four-year business school and picked up my business degree and only needed $15,000 of student loans to complete that process. But I couldn't have done it without the student loans. So I'm grateful for that $15,000 of debt that I was able to take on, because I was able to pay it off in the first year or two. With our home, I'm grateful that I was able to borrow money to purchase a home that was over $100,000. That's crazy to me that Mm. somebody was willing to lend me (laughs) $100,000. But they did it based on my good management over a long period of time. And now that home has been a blessing for Ashley and I. So uh, take a big picture of debt. And be aware that when we come to toxic debt, as a college graduate, you do not want furniture loans. You do not want, uh, you know, credit card. You do not want uh, high interest payday loans. You avoid toxic debt. You clear it out. Uh, And if you're having struggles with that, go back and listen to episode 34 and 35, where Leo and I go all into dealing with that.
1: Yeah. How to pay it down using a debt snowball system. And really, if we can just kind of close this one out by just saying use debt responsibly and don't allow debt to become a normal part of your life. It should only be used for assets that are going to grow over time. You know, we use credit cards, but it's out of convenience. It's not something that we borrow and then pay off over time. Mm. We pay it off at the end of the month. So revolving debt should not be something that you use in order to supplement your income to achieve a certain lifestyle. And that's really what we're trying to focus on here is to clear out your toxic debt is really the biggest thing is do not use revolving debt for lifestyle expenses. Don't use them unless you can pay it off at the end of the month. That's right. This is an agreement that Natalie and I made 27 years ago, which is if we cannot pay the payment at the end of the month, the card's getting cut up. That's right. And we've always paid it off. In the last 20 some years, 20, 27 years actually, we've never paid interest on a credit card because we made an agreement. Yep. If we use a credit card for that reason, we're out of control yep. and we need to stop. So. We're really urging you to listen to this. Do not make credit cards as a normal way of living. Mm -hmm. Use them for the benefit of points or whatever, but make sure that you're spending on a budget and that you're paying off that payment every single month.
0: Yeah, I guess what I would recommend to a recent college graduate, um, and Ashley and I did this for at least the first five years of our marriage, probably six years even, we only used debit cards for our monthly purchases. We had all the money in the bank, we would get the paycheck Mm -hmm. uh, on, let's say it's January 1st, and we would use that paycheck to pay for things in January. So we were basically a month ahead of our money. The money came in and then we spent that money. You can get a month behind using a credit card where you spend on the credit card starting on January 1st, and then you pay it off on January 30th Mm -hmm. with that paycheck. And that's not a good way to do things. You want to get a month ahead. So for the first five or six years, we only used debit cards, but we did keep three credit cards, maybe three or four, but I think just three, where we had them with a zero balance and we would use them once or twice a year. But if you maintain those credit cards at a zero balance, they keep building you credit. And so it didn't hurt us. It allowed us to grow credit while we learned to manage extremely well according to the budget, only using money we had with a debit card. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we felt like, okay, we've learned to manage well. We're on the same page. We're in complete unity. Now we could start using the credit card and earn you know, the 1% cash back, the 1.5% cash back, the 2% right. cash back. And so now we do use the points. But if you don't learn the habit of managing well in the first place, the amount that you pay in interest at 18% is going to be 18 times more than the 1% that you got back. Yeah. And if you go back, it's a bad (laughs) investment. That's right. And if you look at the behavioral side of credit cards, people tend to spend more with a credit card. And so just be aware that if you'll learn to manage really well according to the budget, just like Leo said, live off the budget, then let the credit card be a little bit of a bonus on how to manage easier long term, but build that healthy thing in place.
1: I think that's great advice, David, because most young people who are starting out, if you don't have a solid budget that you've been living on at least 12 months, I would second what David just said. Use a debit card. Use only the money you have. And learn how to manage that so that you're confident that it's never going to get out of whack. Uh, because there is a delay when you use a credit card. You know, your grace period is 25 days, which means you don't have to pay it until the next month. And that's an open door for you to get into trouble. Yes. And so I would want you to focus on just getting your budget in place, running that for 12 months, being comfortable with the numbers, and knowing exactly what, not only what you want to spend, but what you're actually spending. Because that 12 months is gonna give you the ability to massage that until you're finally satisfied with the numbers and you're sticking to it consistently, then it's gonna be easy. When you use a credit card, then it's not going to change in the way you manage money. It's not gonna be this open door to potentially get yourself in trouble. So that's that's a great point, David, I'm glad you brought it up.
0: That's right, so share this with a recent college graduate that you know, click on the share button on the podcast, uh, send it to somebody you know who's graduated recently or somebody in their 20s to 30s, mm-hmm. because this is just great information for any young adult. We went all through credit scores, through clearing out toxic debt today. Uh, the overall list of things that we're covering in seven tips for college grads is to create your bank account, create your stability fund, crush your student loans calibrate your credit and then clear out toxic debts next week we'll look at considering your future home choosing your investment strategy and uh you know the other day i was at a business leaders breakfast and this really cool thing happened Uh, a guy that works as a consulting cfo came up to me and said hey i saw your videos on LinkedIn. And I'm really excited about what you and Leo are doing. Mm-hmm. And it just blew me away. Uh, he's a consulting CFO for a company in wow. Arlington. And, that's cool. and he comes up and says, you know, I've seen what you guys are doing. I love the the book that's coming. I love the podcast that's coming. It meant the world to me, I was blown away. This is somebody I've, I've actually met maybe once, I think, probably six months ago, but I didn't even realize that we were connected on LinkedIn until he said, Hey, no, we're on LinkedIn, I saw your video. So With that being said, it is such an honor to Leo and I when we get feedback from y'all. If you will uh, shoot us a a quick email or jump on LinkedIn and find David Thompson or Leo Sabo and send us a note, a message, that would be incredible. If you go to Facebook and you just look up Leo Sabo, he's got his personal page, but he also has the page that's all about finances. And so just like that page and follow every episode that's coming out and just leave a comment on there. Hey, I'm listening and enjoy what y'all are doing. It means so much to us. Yes. Uh, Another thing that's really important that we've been trying to do is get up to 150. Five star reviews Mm -hmm. on uh, the podcast for iTunes. So if you have an iPhone, jump on there and we would ask for a five star review. But if you believe it's a four star, give it a four star, you know, whatever you think is appropriate. Uh, But we would love for you to just leave some, you know, positive, kind comments there in the feedback. Uh, Any device that you're listening from, there's usually an option to leave some kind of comment or even just click a like button. And what that does is it allows the podcast to be more easily found Mm -hmm. uh, in the algorithm. So it used to be when I searched getting money right like a year ago, uh, it came up with four or five different things and then our podcast. Now I just start typing getting and it will auto fill in money right and now it's easy to find. And mm-hmm. if you type in Leo Sabo, it's the first thing that comes up every time because Leo's just got such a great name. If you type in David Thompson, you're going to run into some basketball playing, uh, you know, extraordinaire. And another there's, David's other job. There's yeah, there's, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of great David Thompsons in the world. And so, um, but it just means the world to us that you would share this with somebody, that you would let others know about it, that you would uh, put it out on your social media and just say something like, "Hey, I enjoyed this episode." Uh, you can look for us on Instagram. Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, we'd love spending time with y'all. So if you ever have a question for us, yeah, we would love to answer it on the podcast. If you think that you have a great idea for an episode that you're like, hey, how come you guys haven't talked about this before? Mm-hmm. We'd love to look into it. If Absolutely. you're an expert in a certain area, you know, we just brought on David Sandu to talk about biblical responsible investing uh, just a couple episodes ago. That was a great connection through LinkedIn where he, he said, hey, you know, we've been connected for a long time. I've seen you're doing the podcast. Let's connect and talk through that. So if you have an idea for an episode, let us know. We love connecting with you guys. Appreciate you rating and reviewing. Would love for you to check out the book, Jesus on Money. Right now you can pre-order that through Stewardship pastors.com you can go to LeoSabo.com. download uh, all the budgeting tools the debt reduction tools um, honestly it's just a really cool way to share personal finance with somebody that you love and care about mm-hmm. and give them easy access to tools and resources so we just really thank you guys for listening for joining us and we hope that you'll join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money, money right, right.
1: We use credit cards, but it's out of convenience. It's not something that we borrow and then pay off over time. We pay it off at the end of the month. So revolving debt should not be something that you use in order to supplement your income to achieve a certain lifestyle.